You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Well, again, just really excited to do service with you guys today. We've uh, it's been what sixty days. I don't, I don't think I've ever gone sixty days in what thirty. 30-some-odd years since yeah, I started pursuing Christ as an adult. I don't think I've ever gone 60 days without worshiping in a corporate body. So I'm really um, excited for this opportunity. I, uh, I turned 50 this week. You can mourn, you can mourn for me. Um, no. I, I, it's caused me to think about finishing well. Something, there's certain numbers, you know, like 25, that was kind of, well, 21 for some is significant, right? Uh, 25 seems significant, 30 seemed significant. A few years ago, my wife goes, oh, you're almost 50. And I'm like, what does that mean? So that's just our relationship. But, um, you know, we've been reading it in our life transforming group through uh, First Kings, and we're looking at David. David's life and just coming to the end of his life, and then Solomon, his son, and then Solomon's son, Benaiah. And in the increasing order, like these guys don't finish well. They start well in some cases, but they don't finish well. And I just have this strong desire to finish well because there's these stories that are just too common in culture, right? Uh, in sports, maybe Barry Bonds. Uh, maybe that name means something to you about not finishing well. Um, there's some pastors that we've seen not finish well. Political leaders, like I just, I'll just have to press on. Um, <laughs> fathers, husbands that don't finish well. And I'm just like, oh, I want to finish well. I, even last week I was on a conference call with a bunch of other church planters. And, and they said, how can we pray for you? And I, I'm like, I want to finish well. And this story, I didn't know that this story was going to apply so well to this conversation. Uh, something I've been wrestling through. And so I'm excited. Just I think we're going to see in Abraham's story this week why finishing well is hard sometimes. I think we're going to see that very clearly. And then, and then we have some practical ways of, of addressing that. We are in a series called The Partner God Pursues. It's a 10-week series. We're looking at 10 stories of Abraham. We started in Genesis 12. I think we go through 24 or 25, something like that. We're getting pretty close to the end, just a couple weeks left. Um, but in this story, in his story, we see these core values that we've adopted as a church. And as a church plant, we get to kind of chart our course a little bit, what it means to be God's people in Missoula. And so we wanted to just talk through these stories. We're we're actually able to see each core value twice in this 10-week series. I'm really excited about that. So we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 20 today. Let's go ahead and bring up the next slide. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. 
and Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now, that sounds weird. Again, amen. <laughs> king just takes a wife. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? He, did he not himself say, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. I'll just tell you really quickly that there's a structure used in, in scriptures. It's called a chiasm. And we'll show you a chiasm in greater detail here in a little bit. But it's a structure that oftentimes in the center of this chiasm, in the center of this structure, literary structure, you can tell there's something important. There's some hidden gem there in the text. And the chiasm in that last section tells us that God clearly agreed with Abimelech that Abimelech had not sinned. And I think that's important to note. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all that is yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all of his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Hang on to that. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? I want you to hang on to that. You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander, I want to hang on to that piece too. From my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. All right, women, let me ask you a question. <laughs> Would you feel vindicated with a thousand pieces of silver? Is that going to hush the conversations? <laughs> Probably not. All right, pressing on. Um, 
Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so they bore children. I love uh, Logan said, how long was she in his house? That they, they were obviously not bearing children. Interesting question. For the Lord has closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. All right. Well, that's our story this week, guys. And, and if you know your stories, if you know your Old Testament, if you know the story of Abraham, you know that this is not the first time that he's asked his sister to tell a king that, uh, to, to tell his wife that she is a sister. It's not the first time he's asked his wife to tell a king that she is a sister. Going back to Genesis 12, which was the first sermon in our series, and we talked about this concept of roughly right, that when we follow God, when we choose to be in relationship with God, that doesn't instantly make us all perfect or without mistakes or without errors or without problems or like we're still rough around the edges. And, and Abraham, after 25 years, is still living out some of the same problems. Now, to balance out the conversation a little bit, Abraham is still doing a lot of things well. Like he, he sojourns. He keeps moving. God asked him to live in a tent, not only for his whole existence, but for his next two sons' whole existence. Like they would, in a land that was theirs, they would live in a tent and they would move around. Abraham's still living that out well. And this is the first time that Abraham is called a prophet. God doesn't call just anybody a prophet. And so we're seeing this relationship still mature. We're seeing, we're seeing growth. It's not perfection, but it's growth. We've seen the Abraham continue to become a better follower of his creator. He prays and God answers. Like he has sway with the God of the universe. I think that's important. There's a couple of cues in this, in this story that I think help us understand what's going on here. And uh, I want to take a look at this first one. It's a chiasm. And again, there's this literary structure and it doesn't always happen like this, but we see this A, B, C, D, then C, B, A. Um, sometimes you have a, a A, B, C, A, B, C chiasm. There's other forms of this literary structure, but it's used commonly throughout the scriptures. On the outside, Abimelech's men were very afraid. So the two bookends, Abimelech's friend, or his men were afraid. Abraham thought, I don't think I see any fear of God in these people. He, he was judging incorrectly, but he didn't see it. And then at the next level, this chiasm, what have you done to us? And what did you see? We'll talk about that phrase in, in footnotes, those, that B level, because there's something interesting going on there too. Um, at the next level, how have I sinned against you? And you have done what ought not to be done. And then right at the center of this chiasm, you 
brought a great sin. You brought great sin on me, and you brought great sin on my people. That's a problem. Because Abraham is supposed to be a blessing to all nations. And he's not living that out in this story. And we've seen that in the church. We've seen where someone has a moral uh, failing, a moral failing, and there's a ripple effect. It affects entire community. If, If a lead pastor is found to be addicted, it has an impact beyond the church walls. We know that. We know that people have caused people to walk away from the church because of the actions of others. We know that happens. And Abraham is not living out his calling well in this moment. And I think it's important to recognize this, is this moment, but it's a, it's a pretty big moment too, isn't it? Like he's impacting the entire kingdom of people. Our next clue as to what is happening in this story is found in verse 13. Um, can we clear that? And then... So many words. There we go. COVID is impacting so many things right now. Yeah. So... When God caused me to wander, Abraham says, when God caused me to wander, typically when, when we hear about Abraham moving around, the word is sojourning. He uses a different word here. When God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come, save me. He is my brother. Now the word to wander, let's take up next slide. In Hebrew, it's ta'ah. It means to err. Does that sound like a positive word to you or a negative word? It's a negative word. I mean, to sojourn, that's kind of a neutral word. Like you can't really tell. Is that positive or negative? I don't know. It's just sojourning. I mean, people sojourn. I don't know. But to err. This word is translated in English, deceived, deceiving, go astray, led astray, misled, reels, staggers, wanders, wandering, seduced. This is not a positive word. And what Abraham says, clear at the beginning of his connection with God He has caused me to err. He's caused me to wander. He has put me into a position of, well, he's vulnerable. He's been made vulnerable. And in that time, can you imagine not building up solid walls in that time and space of history? not having deep roots. Like I've, I've felt this having moved from Pulse Falls to Moscow to 
Missoula. Like I don't have deep roots. I go back and look at my buddy who's been in the same house that was my neighbor. I could walk over to his house for, for care group. And he's been in there for a dozen years. Oh, closer to 20 years. Man, I'm old. Um, we were neighbors for a dozen years. And I've been gone for almost six, seven, eight and I, I miss having those roots, that, that safety of having one place to call home. Logan has threatened to never help me move again, and I agree with him. <laughs> he says, God, I don't feel safe. Actually, he doesn't say, God, I don't feel safe. He, instead of talking with God and going, God, whew, you've made me dependent upon you. And I really need you to show up. He doesn't do that. He goes to a coping mechanism. He uses a coping mechanism, creates his own solution to this problem. I don't feel safe. We could either lean into God more or create a coping mechanism that leads us down a path that is, brings its own set of challenges. And there's, there's a lot of coping mechanisms that we recognize that are negative, right? Uh, abusing alcohol, drug abuse, sexual addiction, withdrawal, isolation, comfort eating. I don't know what that's about. Coping mechanisms, we adopt them typically when we're young. And Abraham adopted this early, early in his walk with God. We adopt them typically when we're young. We want some level of comfort and control in a chaotic world. And what, what we adopt to create this sense of comfort and control will eventually control us. A drink after a stressful day or a plate of nachos. Not a plate of nachos, a, a plate of nachos. Or we isolate because relationships are challenging, but then down the road we find that we don't have meaningful connection and, and we don't know how to do that. We oversleep. Why get out of bed? It's, it's dangerous out there. And so these things that we would use to help us eventually come to control us. And Abraham was not able to finish well in this moment because he adopted this coping mechanism instead of leaning deeper into the God of the universe. If we're going to finish well, we need a way to honestly address what's below the surface in our hearts. Those things that we run to to find comfort, those things that have become an automatic response. We don't even think about it anymore. I don't have to think about building that plate of nachos. I just find myself at the refrigerator, opening the door, unloading stuff. I walk away. I, I'm not even hungry, and I got this big old plate in my hands. Well, since I built it, <laughs> I got to eat it, right? We have to have a place where we could process through this. 
We need to be a church where people could come in with, with those coping mechanisms and they know it's safe to talk about those things, whatever, whatever they are. Which is why we value authenticity as a church. Because without vulnerability and honesty, growth is handicapped, trust is lost, and dysfunction is fostered. But if we commit to authentic living, we will build trust, we will strengthen relationships, and we'll grow as a community. You know, when I talk about care groups, our care groups are groups of people, roughly eight to 14 folks come together on a weekly basis to take the Sunday sermon and continue the conversation in, in the week and wrestle over the same scriptures. And like this week, I'll get to talk about my coping mechanisms. I hope Hope my group still loves me when we're all done. Um, but just, when I talk about care groups, I don't say you guys need care groups. I'll tell you that I need care groups. Not that you don't need it too, but I'm, I'm just saying that this is a need that I have. If I'm going to finish well, I need a place where I could talk about real things with real people. Who really love me. And so the partner God pursues intentionally invests in authenticity to build new patterns in their lives. That's what Christ invites us into. Not that we have it all figured out when we show up. In fact, maybe we have more questions than answers. And our first call to action is know your coping mechanisms. Logan, when we talked about this this week in Sermon Club, he equated to potholes. And it reminded me of a story a dozen years ago. I was in Africa. And I was driving this highway, and for two hours, I drove straight. Like, didn't, didn't turn much to the right or left. Like, it was about a straighter road. I was really impressed. Uh, northern um, Tanzania. And then all of a sudden, I saw in the distance, five miles down the road, three miles, I don't know, it was a long way because it was flat. All these cars doing this. <laughs> I'm like, what are they doing? <laughs> that, that mean people to pass? I, I did, <laughs> wasn't sure what was going on. As I got closer, I realized what was happening. There's potholes in the road. And so they were swerving to miss each other and <laughs> swerving to miss, more importantly, the potholes. I was super excited that I was driving a rental car that day. So did I slow down? Nope. I got pretty confident in my solemn ability driving through all those potholes. Problem is, is a lot of times the potholes were this big. Sometimes they're <laughs> as big as a bus. <laughs> Bam! Like, oh, jeez. I didn't know if I had an undercarriage left. I hit the sucker so hard. So I slowed down to 60. Because <laughs> that's what you do when you're on a mission strip. I mean, God's got you, right? I slow down and build a little more confidence. And I'm slalom pretty good. So I'm back closer to, you know, that other number. That's more than 60. And uh, I'd hit it again. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I don't think that truck ever drove straight again. 
Um, I was really honestly surprised that there was anything left of that truck. That was a tough Toyota. I should buy one of those. But what in your life do you think you can get around that you could just kind of ignore, that you could kind of dodge, but then every so often, without warning, it's too big. It's just too big. I found myself last summer wondering why my little resentments had just blown up into the great big argument with one of my kids. And you've probably been there where you're sitting on the couch hours later going, how did that happen like that? I had to address, I had to address what was going on in my, my heart, how I used anger as a coping mechanism. So know your coping mechanisms. And these first two, the second one is build trusting relationships. So both of these are about, about this, knowing, knowing your potholes and building trusting relationships is about these kinds of relationships. But we need people in our lives that can see our blind spots and love us anyway. We need to create space, our care groups and our life transforming groups. They need to be a space where people could come and talk about real things. I would hate for us to have a care group where at the end of five years, a couple just walks away from each other and no one ever knows that there were hard things going on. That would just break my heart and, I, and I've seen it. I've had my heart broken before. I want real conversations in our groups. I want you to have a place where you can be 100% you. Yeah, I know you don't like it either sometimes. I don't like seeing some of the things that I see in the mirror of my heart. But we need to create that space. Build trusting relationships. That takes work, takes effort. And then the third call to action Embrace the vulnerability God leads you to. I picture a mom or a dad in the water at the edge of a pool with their son or daughter look, hoping to get into the water for the very first time, but tears are flowing. And they're not sure if they can embrace this vulnerability of jumping into the water with mom or dad. They're not sure if they're going to be okay. But if they embrace it, they'll get to dive, they'll get to go under the water, come out the other side, you know, explore, splash people. Like all, a whole world opens up to them if they trust mom or dad in that moment. My uncle... Um, when he was alive, uh, he had this 30-foot houseboat, and we were out with my aunt and uncle and my cousins one weekend, and Friday night we got there kind of late for a couple hours. Joy was trying to figure out if she could go down this slide. She was probably 10 or 12 at the time and just couldn't convince herself that she could go down that slide. Like She sat on that slide for hours. The next morning, I came walking out, and she's sitting on that slide again. And she goes, Dad, will you hold my hand as I slide down? Well, it, was a, it was a long slide. There was, 
no practical way of doing that. I said, hold on, babe. I walked up the stairs, walked up behind her, and I said, I love you. <laughs> Fortunately for me, she came out of the water going, yeah, and spent the rest of the weekend going down that slide like three dozen times. Opened up a whole world to her. Embrace the vulnerability that God leads you to because Abraham wasn't willing to embrace that part of his relationship with God, at least, at least not up to this point in his story. He wasn't willing to embrace that vulnerability. He didn't like the fact that God made him vulnerable. I was, I was there on Monday. I went walking. Um, just, I knew I needed to have a conversation with God. And I'm like, God, you've made me so vulnerable. <laughs> I hadn't even looked at this story yet. That's what's funny. Um, I looked later on that day uh, at this story to prepare for today. And I'm going, wait a minute. What's, what's that about? I'm going, no, God, what you've done is you've opened up what the need is. You're still the provider. I now am fully aware of what the need is. Thank you for helping me understand that. And I'm excited to see what you do. And he's opened up some doors already in, in that particular case this week. Embrace the vulnerability that God leads you to. And then finally, invest in your loving union with your creator. All right, dudes in the room, raise your hand if this sounds a little awkward. All right, there's just a few of us. Um, some of you feel that's too vulnerable to even raise your hand to let us know <laughs> that's what you're thinking. Um, that's okay. I want you to think about this way. Picture either your dad or your grandfather or your best friend or, or maybe it's your spouse, but that intimate relationship where time with them is nothing but a blessing. Because in our deep, intimate connections, we need time. And we need these conversations. We need these small, these medium, and these large conversations. And yet in American Christianity, I think we try to live off of these small conversations. Now with my wife, I text her probably half a, ton, half a dozen times a day on average. A lot of heart emojis. You know that's, that's in there somewhere. Um, a lot of quick conversations. Um, even if we're not in the same town, like at least a half a dozen times, I am reaching out to to my wife in these little conversations. And I do that with God a lot. A lot of my prayer time is measured in seconds, not in minutes. But I think we also need some bigger conversations. In fact, if my relationship with my wife is solely based upon these 30 second conversations, I hope that you come and call me out. She and I need these two, three, four hour conversations sometimes. And then every so often we need, like once a year, twice a year, we need to get away for a week. We need to get away for days just to be connected. And I bet you could think of a significant relationship 
to where you had multiple times of having a, an entire week with that person. We need to invest in our relationship with God this way. Now, honestly, that's going to take some effort. I, uh, I got some news on Friday, and I didn't want to talk to God Friday. <laughs> I didn't really want to talk to God about that conversation on Saturday. Like, I sent him the quick, quick emoji text, but no real in-depth conversation. I didn't want to have that in-depth conversation with him on Sunday. Like, I was avoiding the conversation until Monday. And I, finally, I, on Sunday, I told my wife, I'm like, I just need to get out of the house, need to get away from everybody else, and have some time. And so I've started, uh, during the weekday, I'm committed to walking a couple miles and having that be one of those medium-sized conversations. But I had a friend text me this week and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to do some fasting. Can we, do you have some pointers? And so we, we talked, and uh, what they're doing is they're just dialing their life back. They're getting rid of anything extraneous. Super simple eating, no, uh, no TV, no movies, no social media, just letting the big voice be God's voice for, for a week. And that's a great way to have a big conversation with God. I think another way is for us to celebrate Sabbath well. And I feel like in the American church, well, my experience is I don't know how to do this well. I've, I've been looking at this for a couple of years. I'm still investing in the fact I just picked up another book. It'll be here Monday. Um, ask a buddy that does it really, really well and sees Sabbath as this amazing experience, not what I picture when I read you know, some of the Pharisees and some of those conversations about, about Sabbath. Like it's just some of those negative conversations about Sabbath in the scriptures has kind of tainted my view of what I think Sabbath actually is supposed to be. And so I'm looking to adopt some views. And we're actually going to have a larger conversation um, towards the end of summer about Sabbath. And if I'm not the right guy to lead that conversation, I'll bring someone in who it is. But we'll have a multi, multi-week conversation about Sabbath because I think that this is something that we need to figure out how to do well. And Sabbath isn't just not working for a day because I could do that. <laughs> um, it's about connection and celebration and contemplation a number of other things. So uh, there's a book that we're going through as a staff and we're going to take our elders through it. Um, it's called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And he spends a big part of the conversation about Sabbath because this is a guy that's led a church for 40 years and didn't know how to Sabbath well for about 30, 35 years. And he says this revolutionized his life, knowing how to Sabbath well. So invest in your loving union with your creator. Take, take time, take money, and figure out how to grow that relationship beyond the 30-second conversations that we have on a regular basis. Let's have some bigger conversations with our God. Let's learn to enjoy him. Because the partner God pursues intentionally invests in authenticity both with people and with our God.
Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.